2: Well, hello there again, my friend. Fancy meeting you here in my closet in Columbus, Ohio. That's where I'm coming at you from here on the Stream Police Podcast. I am Clint Davis. I talk movies and television every month in this look at things that are streaming and music in television and movies. And, you know, whatever else happens to be streaming out there. The things that are getting you through the quarantine. I'm going to tell you about the things that are getting me through it here uh, coming up in just a few minutes. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on the brand new HBO Max, which I've now had uh, several weeks to play around with. And I'll tell you whether or not I think it's worth your $15 a month. I will give you a definitive look at that coming up in just a little bit. But welcome into the show. It's July, the 81st edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Can you believe we've been going on this long, my friend? And can you believe we've been stuck at home this long And uh, have you worn out Netflix yet? Have you watched, uh, what is that movie called, 365 Days, I think? That uh, basically a a glorified, uh, like, Skinamax, bump-and-grind softcore porn movie that has made its way to the top of the rankings on Netflix for, like, this entire quarantine. I don't know. I don't don't know where people are getting their uh, sexual energy to watch that movie over and over again during this thing because it's just been too depressing, I feel like, this entire period to be uh, getting too excited about anything that's happening on a TV screen. But anyway, in that way, I'm saying. But in the usual way of getting excited about what's on a TV screen, I'm always up for that. And that's why I come at you here from my closet in Columbus, Ohio. And our good friend, Andy Sedlak, who usually talks music here on the show, is not joining us this month. You know why? Because he's been feverishly working to decipher all the coded references in Bob Dylan's new album, Rough and Rowdy Ways. He's up there at his palatial estate in Cleveland, right there on the water, and uh, he's listening to the album back and forth, front to back, listening to it actually backwards like they used to do with the Ozzy Osbourne albums, uh, the people at the PMRC. And he's doing that. He's doing all of it and trying to figure out what exactly Bob's talking about on that new masterpiece of an album. So we'll talk to him again next month here on the show. Uh, But you got me. For this month, so I'm going to be talking to you a lot about movies and TV. I'll still give you five songs to add to the playlist coming up in just a little bit as well. I want to urge you to go over to uh, YouTube and check me out at Overdue Review that's my YouTube channel and also follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, M R Clint Davis, and Andy's there as well at Andy Sedlak, S E D L A K. Uh, and if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see what movies I'm watching as I'm watching. Watching them. I'm going to get to a, a weird one, interesting one, uh, one that has, has kind of really stuck with me, even though I wasn't sure quite what to make of it when I first sat through it. And those are, man, those are some of my favorite movies, right? The ones that just leave you. Uh, well, the lyric from uh, Trashy Women gets me excited and leaves me feeling confused. That's how I feel about some great movies, right? They get you excited and they leave you feeling confused. After the film's over, you're kind of like, what did I just watch? It's like when you watch a good Ingmar Bergman movie. Some of his, man, they get you excited and they leave you feeling confused. I think that those words can be used to describe almost every movie in the Criterion Collection, but it's why we love them, man. It's like a puzzle, something to figure out after it's all over. Uh, usually I start this show with a stogie, I sit in my closet, I light a stogie up, it's nice to set the mood, but I'm not doing that. I haven't been doing it for the last few months during this COVID-19 quarantine because, uh, I'm trying to stand in solidarity, man. People can't breathe, people can't use their lungs, they're sitting on ventilators, uh, they're waiting for ventilators, stuff like that, all over the world, not just here, mostly just here, but, uh, all over the world, in Brazil, everywhere else, uh, where it's hitting them really hard. And uh, I don't want to, you know, sit and smoke a Stogie on my podcast. It sounds kind of, it's kind of vulgar, isn't it? So I'm going to put it off until we get this whole thing under wraps. So no Stogie right now. And I guess my lungs are probably thanking me. But let's roll right on to another thing that we usually do here on the Stream Police podcast. And that is Shine a Light on the greatest TV show theme song of all time. For this week, our 53rd entry into the canon of great TV show theme songs. And let me tell you, my friend, there are very few TV shows that could be described as completely unique. Very few. Even the best shows that have ever been written, that have ever been done, they have usually taken cues from something else. And you can kind of harken back and think about other shows and other, you know, things, movies even, that have led the way for them and made them even better and have set them up for greatness. But this show that I'm going to talk about, I want to highlight one of the truly unique TV shows to ever make its way onto the air in our monthly look at the best TV show theme songs ever recorded. When I was a kid, let me take you back here to the mid-90s. I was a kid late in my elementary school years. This is about 96, '7 something like that. We lived with my grandparents for a couple years, and I slept in the basement. I had this big room down in the basement, had my bunk bed set up down there, and it was the first time in my life that I'd had my own TV in my room. I had this tiny—my mom still has the TV. It's like a—she's just got it sitting in the garage. She doesn't even use it just because she's one of those people that can't get rid of anything. So, you know, you never know when you might need a 15-inch television that weighs 150 pounds and gets— You know, barely better than black and white picture, but I better hang on to it just in case. So anyway, that's what it was. It's a Magnavox, like, 15-inch diagonal TV, you know, square TV that I used for years. I probably used this thing for, you know, 10 years of watching television and playing video games on it all the time. I mean, it was my formative TV years were spent watching this TV. And so it was the first time I had this TV in my room, and I would lay in bed at night in my bunk bed usually I would be watching Snick, and if you remember Snick, then you're one of my pals, because that was like Nickelodeon's late night, it wasn't even late night, it was like 8, 9 p.m., it was like Nickelodeon's prime time block, and it was for teens, right, and it was Snick, I think, because it was on Saturday night, so it was Saturday Night Nick, and I remember staying up and watching some of those shows, and they felt really like dangerous to me, they felt different than Rugrats and you know, some of the other stuff that I would watch, like Doug. So it was shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark and all that, and The Adventures of Pete and Pete. It was a lot of those live-action shows that just felt kind of dangerous to me. But one night, as I was clicking around the channels, I, I moved away from Nickelodeon one night, and I almost never did that. I was a big, die-hard Nickelodeon viewer. But anyway, I was scrolling through the channels, and I stumbled upon Cartoon Network. And a show that felt truly like nothing I had ever seen in my life, and it turned out that it was nothing like anyone had ever seen in their lives as well. The show was called Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and its theme song was as abrasive and offbeat as the series itself. Space Ghost Coast to Coast. It debuted in 1994 as the first original series ever produced by Cartoon Network. Did you know that? The channel had simply been a place for its owner, Ted Turner, to show like all the classic cartoons he'd bought the rights for over the years. Because you know Ted Turner, he's just one of those guys that... Uh, a great innovator in TV, and in cable television especially. But he was just one of those guys that he bought pretty much everything because he was so crazy rich. So he would buy all the rights to all these Hanna-Barbera cartoons... And it's like, where am I going to show these? I'm I'm not going to show them on TBS, you know, so I'll I'll have a cartoon channel. We'll have our own channel. We'll just show all these classic cartoons and somebody will watch them and it won't really cost us anything. And we'll just make some ad money. So he didn't want to put any extra money into Cartoon Network. But there were a group of rogue animators and producers there led by a guy named Mike Lazo who came up with a way to do a show that was super cheap and completely unique and would end up laying the groundwork for the tremendous channel that Cartoon Network has become since those days. If you have never seen this show, it's tough to describe, but let me lay it out for you. Space Ghost Coast to Coast was a talk show that saw live-action guests having conversations with an animated host, and it was a guy named Space Ghost. He's in space... Hosting this talk show, sitting at a desk, you know, it looks like Dave Letterman's desk, basically. He's got the blue cards, he's tapping them, but he's animated. The guests are live action, and they're showing up on like a monitor that comes down on the set, and he's talking to them. And Space Ghost is like this dim witted superhero. He's not a great superhero, he's not a great mind. He's kind of a moron, he's just, you know, really like physically fit, and he's got like these bands that he can shoot rays out of, and he will sometimes use them against guests or against the people on his show that make him angry. But anyway, he's not like this great hero. He's just kind of, you know, uh, kind of a loser basically in the superhero world. And here he is hosting a late night talk show on Cartoon Network. His band leader is this evil praying mantis named Zorak. And his director is a masked man named Moltar. And both of these guys hate Space Ghost and he kind of hates them, but they really don't like him very much. Um, And they all three, you know, get into it almost in every single episode those characters actually came from this obscure Hanna-Barbera cartoon from 1966 called Space Ghost that Turner owned the rights to so anyway Lazo and his team used the animation from that cartoon to make this show so what they did was they just took like 20 different poses that Space Ghost used in this 1966 show that only ran for you know a few episodes They took the poses that would work with him doing a talk show and just repurposed them, put them on a new background, and they would just animate his mouth to match the new things being said by the voice actor who's playing Space Ghost now uh, and doing this this talk show. So it was like old animation, but made new again. So super cheap to make. um, And it just had the feeling of the animators being in control and it just being guys trying to make themselves laugh. And sometimes that can be very obnoxious, but other times it can be really the recipe for some great and unique television because there was no like executive oversight whatsoever that went into this show. So it was it, it was a pretty perfect storm for something like this to happen. So it gives the whole show this low-fi vibe that Adult Swim would end up becoming known for in the years to come. <laughs> The guests on Space Ghost Coast to Coast ran the gamut. I mean, you had everybody from David Byrne to Hulk Hogan to Metallica to Jon Stewart. Chuck D showed up. There were a bunch of guests over the years, and it was never clear if the guests were in on the joke or if they thought it was a serious show. And, you know, since Turner also owned CNN, the way they would get their guests and they would shoot them was in the CNN studios. So the person would be there, like, doing an interview for CNN— and they'd be like, hey, can you do an interview for this other show we have on uh, one of our other channels on Cartoon Network? And they would you know, get them in, and they would tell them that it was Space Ghost was hosting it, and they're, you're going to be talking to Space Ghost, and they would hear the voice of the voice actor, but they wouldn't really see anything. And so it was never clear if the guest was in on the joke, or if they thought it was a serious show. So it's one of the things that makes it really funny. So it's got that kind of Ali G show thing going on as well. But again, this show was before... That one so, just a real groundbreaker. It's a tough show to describe if you've never seen it, but almost all the laughs from Space Ghost Coast to Coast can be described as anti humor and truly bizarre. It's really that's really the best way to put it. It's a bizarre show, and I thought the theme song was perfect because it always gets stuck in my head. I'll just randomly start thinking of this theme song and have that riff in my head, but the song totally fit what they were going for, as uh, the song itself was written and performed by this free jazz guitar player named Sonny Sherrick, who actually died right before the first episode aired, so he didn't even get to see the show. But he writes this great theme song and some other musical cues that they use in it, and I thought he just nailed it. And especially for a show that he hadn't seen and probably didn't know a ton about, I thought he, he nailed the whole vibe of the show. And uh, Sonny Sherrick is owed a huge debt in the Cartoon Network history for what he provided to this series before uh you know it would even went on the air the song itself is catchy i think it's fitting for a talk show that's beamed in from outer space but it's also in your face and it's not soothing at all you know i mean this isn't a comforting track and the fact that the song was called hit single i think makes it even better (laughs) In the end, the series would run for more than 100 episodes across 11 seasons, and the footprints of Space Coast Coast to Coast can be seen in nearly every single Adult Swim show that would follow, especially shows like Sea Lab 2021 and The Eric Andre Show. Uh, Its legacy lives on, and I was one of those lucky kids who caught it, and it never left my imagination. It never has over the years. I still think about this show all the time. It's the kind of show that made me the TV lover that I am today and showed me what the medium can do. It doesn't just have to be shows that have laugh tracks and seem the same as everything else. It can be something truly unique um, and really funny and different. And uh, so Space Ghost Coast to Coast, one of those shows I love. And its theme song, Hit Single, by Sonny Sherrick is our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. <laughs> The entire series of Space Ghost right now is streaming on HBO Max, and I've been rewatching it. It's why again? I was thinking about it, and I'm like, man, I got to put that theme song in uh, uh, in the show. I got to name it the greatest TV show theme song because it's just it's just a cool tune, man. It's really cool, really unique, just like the show itself. So, are you a Space Ghost fan? Did you like it when you were a kid? Did you ever watch it and hate it? Um, I imagine it was a good show for. Anyone who might have been high late at night, because it would air like on Friday nights at 11 o'clock, I think. And uh, that, that was kind of, that's what Adult Swim basically became known for, was like stoner comedy. And Space Ghost was where it was all born. I mean, can you imagine Ted Turner ever greenlighting this show? Like, he, the one of the squarest dudes in the world. Like, he would have ever thought this was something that should be on his network. I mean... I, that's why I'm so glad he wasn't running Cartoon Network himself and that he had somebody – he would delegate it to somebody else because if he had been running it, there's no way in hell this show would have ever flown. And Adult Swim probably would have never happened either if that was the case. Uh, but what's getting you through the quarantine? I, I've asked you this every month since this has been going on, and, and Space Ghost is one of those things that's been getting me through. It's the, the little 12-minute episodes. I'll watch them you know, here and there. Um, and whenever I get a minute, I'll just check one out, and it just takes me back and makes me laugh. I mean, it's just a, just a crazy show.
1: Hey, Joey. Okay, then identify yourselves, Ramones. Hi, I'm Johnny Ramone, and I'm Rocky Ramone, and I'm Joey, and I'm C.J., and I'm Zorak Ramone, and I'm Moltar Ramone. They're not really Ramones. Say, fellas, tell us about your new record. Aciditas, that's our latest album. It's a cover album of uh, songs that were recorded in uh, generally in around the 1967-68 period of time. And it's just now coming out?
2: <laughs> <laughs> other things that have been getting me through, the Naked Gun trilogy, they've been showing that on IFC, and I uh, recorded all three of them on my DVR, quote-unquote, which is just YouTube TV, and uh, watched that whole trilogy again and just laughed my ass off and man the opening credits on those movies are there any is there any better opening credit sequences uh, ever in comedy than the ones for the naked gun movies those are just great with that police car driving through places that a police car just really should not and really could not ever be It just sets the sets the stage so great for those films um and Stardew Valley has also been getting me through this time. I'm telling you, if you never played that game, that uh, one of my favorite video games of all time, uh, I have rediscovered it and gotten back into it. The little game where you just make your, you leave the city and you make yourself a farm and you grow plants and you raise animals and you sell your milk and cheese and vegetables and uh, you try to find a, a spouse and. You know, you go fishing, and it's just a very laid-back, beautiful little, um, you know, 8-bit kind of animated game that takes me back again to my childhood, even though it's a newer game, but it just it is one of those timeless classics that you can play forever. There's no, there's no ending, really. So, Stardew Valley, thank you for that. That has been getting me through this quarantine for the last month uh, If you want to uh, let me know What you've been doing I want to know What you've been watching What you've been playing What you've been listening to Hit me up at Theclintdavis at gmail.com Especially if it's a musical thing Hit Andy up at Sedlackjournal at gmail.com He would love to hear What uh, you've been listening to I know he's been listening to A lot of vinyl uh, He'd been doing that Before the quarantine But he's still showing off All that vinyl And I think he's been watching A lot of movies too It seemed like So I wanted to put the spotlight on a show that I just finished um, several weeks ago that I had been watching for a couple years and uh, finally got done with. And it's a series that I immediately, upon watching just really the first couple seasons, was ready to put alongside some of the great TV shows ever. And now that I'm finished with the series, I am quite certain it belongs right there with the absolute best TV series ever, especially in terms of writing and in terms of acting, um, and that is The Americans from FX, and I didn't watch The Americans when it was on. I was watching it, uh, at least I, I wasn't watching it live on FX, I was watching it, uh, we started it, Beth and I and my mom actually, we started watching it probably, man, it, maybe it was like three years ago, and then at one point we took a long break from it cuz it's one of those shows that I didn't really binge it. Like I don't I don't know that it's really a bingey kind of show because it is a little heavy and and it's very violent. And the violence really has consequences. It's one of those shows where the violence weighs on you and it weighs on the characters heavily and that ends up being a big part of the story. Um and it it's just a show where everything weighs on the characters and you see them kind of age and slow down and and get get worn down over time by the things they see and the things they do but if you don't know anything about this show it's uh, a fantastic premise it's about um it's set in the 1980s right at kind of the it, when the cold war has really heated up and then the show ends up going on i think the show covers like six or seven years in the lives of the characters it's, it covers a long span of time there are some big time jumps Uh, It might even be more like 10 years. I can't remember. But basically, it covers like the entire 1980s in the course of six seasons. So it's uh, similar a little bit as far as its time period, its costumes, its music, stuff like that. It's similar to uh, another show I raved about a few episodes ago. Uh, that I told you you should watch *Halt and Catch Fire*, which uh, was on AMC at about the same time as *The Americans*. Uh, same time period, but very different setting. Anyway, this show set in the 1980s, and it follows a couple played by Kerry Russell and Matthew Rees who were born in the Soviet Union and were, you know, heavily trained in uh, the Directorate S program, which was like this, you know, secret program that the Soviets ran uh, in getting their people into America, integrated into America and get them basically live American lives right alongside other Americans, but uh, you know, be working for the Soviets the entire time. So this couple, they are Soviets, but they've lived in America for like 30 years and they have two kids together. One of whom is, uh, you know, late in her teens. And the other one is a little bit younger, uh, kind of in his early teens, uh, late adolescent years. And so they've at this point basically become Americans as far as their lives go, especially on the outside. Um, and they've you know got different names and all this stuff. Their kids have no idea that they're Russian and that they're doing all this work, but they're doing all this really serious uh, you know espionage work and and sending it to the Soviets and working with you know contact people that they have in the United States. And it just so happens that they live right next door. To an FBI agent who happened to move in next to them. It wasn't, they weren't trying to get close to this guy. And so this guy lives next to them. And, uh, Matthew Reese's character ends up becoming really good friends with him, like best friends with this guy. Um, and it's this, you know, tight line the whole time of, is is he going to figure it out? Um, is are they going to like tell him like are they going to try to flip him there are all these possibilities and you never know where the americans is going to go and that's one of the things that i have to praise about this show so much i was completely um guessing at what would happen at every turn i didn't feel like anything ended up being cliche uh nothing felt too telegraphed nothing felt too obvious uh when it all came down the line and that's hard to do man it's really hard to do when we've seen as much TV as we have and when we've seen as much genre spy genre stuff as we have. I think this show was so original at every turn and such a joy to watch. The acting, man, I just got to tell you, if if you love great acting where you forget you're watching actors and where you're just seeing people, uh, I think The Americans is just flawless. I mean, there is not like one single over-the-top cartoony or bad performance in this show i mean i think about my favorite shows ever and i think about shows like the sopranos and i think about shows like the wire and the really you know shows that i hold up there as some of the the real greats and there are always performances in those shows that were just not really up to snuff like somebody cast one of their buddies or uh you know they for whatever reason they didn't get like the right person for a part. But in The Americans, every part is just perfectly cast. I cannot think of, honestly, a single supporting character, anyone, even the kids, which is notoriously hard to get the kids right. The kids are amazing, and Holly Taylor, who plays their daughter especially, does fantastic work from top to bottom and ends up really becoming the heart and soul of this show. Uh, by the time it's all said and done, uh, and Noah Emmerich plays the uh, neighbor, the FBI agent Stan, who ends up, you know, being one of the great characters in the show as well. So it's just a such an interesting series, and it gets so much into, uh, you know, the politics of the time and into Reagan and the rhetoric that he used, and how it kind of set up uh, set us up on this path that we're on now, and the the lies, kind of the propaganda that was being spread by. The United States against the Soviets, the lies that were being told. But also it doesn't sugarcoat the fact that um, Soviet Russia was a brutal place, very tough place to live, um, not the idyllic place that, you know, the, the communists had thought they were fighting for the dedicated members of the, you know the USSR, the common people. Who you know had fought so hard in wars and in revolutions to turn the country into a communist state, it wasn't what they had hoped for, and you still had people at the top who were hogging everything. And it, the show gets into that because we do spend a lot of time in the USSR as well with other characters who were there, and they get into the corruption that was happening at the time over there. So there's just it, it plays both sides really well, and it I think it kind of cover it gets into everything. It doesn't just lightly glance across stuff when the americans decide to turn its uh, eye into something it it really digs deep And, and a lot of the credit on this show i think goes to joe weisberg and he was the guy who created the show and and this is one of those instances where it's it feels real because he was involved in it this is a guy who worked at the CIA. So he worked for the CIA at the time that this was, you know, that the show is set and basically wrote things that he saw that I I guess he took notes on, thought were interesting. I'm sure he didn't see it all happen, but it's got this real air of authenticity uh, to it. And it comes from that. And it's just like with John Le Carre, who, you know, I consider to be the master of spy writing, spy genre novel writing. And it's because, you know, he was working uh, for British intelligence uh, when he was writing novels. And uh, it just gives it this air of authenticity that somebody who only gets their spy stories from watching other spy stories is never going to be able to get. Um, So Weisberg gets a lot of credit there. It's like David Simon. Who created The Wire. I think one of the reasons The Wire is such a great show is because it was created by a guy who worked as an investigative journalist in Baltimore, Maryland. And so he decides to write a show that attacks all of the parts of the city of Baltimore and by extension all the parts of the United States that have failed its people. And so he gets deep into education. He gets deep into criminal justice. He gets deep uh, into journalism and how journalism has started to fail the people who read the newspapers. Um, And it's it's uh, just obviously such an intense, such a great show, Um, even union busting he gets into in that show and the effects of that. So. David Simon was taking things that he had worked on in real life at the newspaper and his writing staff was filled with guys who were newspaper writers as well and uh, novelists It was one of the great writing staffs in the history of TV but The Americans is like that it's it's like The Wire in that way because it's coming from a guy who was there who knows what was happening so I give Joe Weisberg a lot of credit and I'm interested to see what he's going to end up doing next
0: They just try so hard to get you to sign up for more you know, spend more money and Bring in your friends.
1: That's not the point.
0: Well, I think that is the point. They manipulate you to get at your wallet.
1: You think I'm being manipulated?
0: I just think it's it's very American. You don't get it. That's what they say when you don't go along with it. You don't get it. So you do sign up for more seminars. You spend more money, and then suddenly you get it.
1: I get a lot out of it, and that's what matters.
0: But are you getting a lot? Because from what I can see, you're not sleeping. You're not eating.
1: Yeah, and there's a reason for that.
2: But The Americans just covered a lot of ground over its six seasons. Like I said, it covers a span of about ten years in that time, and uh, there are some things in this show that that will be with me forever, some moments of violence especially that are so, God, gruesome and just and horrifying. Um, and tradecraft that's explored that's just so interesting and things that I had never seen, even though I've watched a lot of spy stuff over the years and read a lot of spy stuff. uh, I was just amazed at how fresh this whole series felt, even though, again, spy is one of the most worn-out genres, and setting a show in the 80s has been done and done, even with shows that were in the 80s. We've seen a lot of things in the 80s, uh, but this show just felt fresh from start to finish, and and Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese are just phenomenal. They they give two of the best lead performances uh, that you'll ever see in TV. I just was stunned by both of them. Carrie Russell, especially, my God, what a powerhouse, and the uh, kind of action work that she does in this show as well. But this is not an action show, but there are a lot of times where she has to get. Uh, really physical, and she does it well, and is totally believable. I, I didn't think of her as like a hard ass, but the character she plays in this show, Elizabeth, is one of the ultimate hard asses in TV history. Like as far as somebody you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley, I think Elizabeth Jennings from The Americans is is right up there at the top. Uh, and Carrie Russell does that, even though she's kind of this diminutive, petite, little brunette thing, and uh, who was famous for acting in a show where she cut her hair and people got mad at her, you know? So it's it's crazy what she was able to do in this part, and I think uh, she showed us all how really just tremendous an actor she is.
0: I think maybe... What um, happened? Nothing. It's nothing.
1: That That's not nothing.
0: It's fine. He was a little weird. Let me see. He said it was fine.
1: How can you say that?
0: It happens... It happens sometimes, Philip.
1: Can I just... I'm gonna deal with it.
0: You're gonna deal with it? Yeah. If I'd wanted to deal with him, you don't think he'd be dealt with? I wanted the intel, and I got it. Great, I'll be back in an hour. Philip, I don't need you to fight my battles for me. It's over. Just go to bed. Philip! (sighs) wrong with you. Somebody beat the shit out of my wife. I can handle it. It is my job. I know, but you don't deserve it. Philip, stop. You are not my daddy.
1: No, I'm not your daddy. I'm your husband, Elizabeth. What do you think husbands do?
0: I wouldn't know.
2: The guest actors will make you salivate as well. You got Margot Martindale showing up through most of the series. Uh, Franklin Jella shows up for a long while. Dylan Baker does a hell of a kind of season stretch on this series. Uh, Julia Garner shows up for a while and does great work again. So there's a lot of really good guest actors who pop in and out of this show. Um and it's just from top to bottom a fantastic series. I loved every moment of it. When I gave you my rankings of the 10 best shows, my 10 favorite shows of the 2010s, I had The Americans at number two. And I would probably keep it there. I might, honestly, I might bump it up to number one. I hadn't finished the series when I said that. Um, but it would probably still be number two. I just, I thought that uh, The Leftovers was just too original and too intriguing to keep it anywhere but number one but the americans is right there and the americans is immediately right there at the top of the list of my favorite tv shows ever done i, I think some of the moments uh, that the ways that they used the soundtrack especially were just brilliant um and i was just blown away by this show from start to finish it, it's uh, it's a must watch i would tell you if you're into serious dramatic television and especially if you're into spy stuff at all you got to watch the americans but even if you're not it's a uh, Just great drama, really, uh, from top to bottom. So the Americans ran from 2013 to 2018, six seasons on FX. Amazing show, uh, and it was great all the way through. I think the finale was fantastic, and uh, there was never a misstep. I I don't have any. There aren't any parts or episodes of this show that I think back on and go, "I would have changed this. I would have changed that." Um, Which is again something you can't say about many shows so congrats to joe weisberg and carrie russell matthew reese and noah emmerich and the great work they did on the americans the show is streaming now on amazon prime video that's where i watched it and i recommend you watch it as well
1: what do you mean look i can tell something's wrong okay i'm good with these things what things knowing when somebody's not telling me something I'm your friend, okay? We're like best friends, okay? Something's up with you. I'm worried about this work thing. Okay. Okay. But it feels like more than that. You know, I used to ask myself, why is this guy and his wife coming home at three, four in the morning? How hard can they possibly work? What's what's driving them? And even now I, I see you and I wonder what is going on with him? I see your stress level I just, I say this to you as a friend, okay? Are you involved with something?
2: All right, I'm going to take a breather for just a second, take a drink of some water here, let you listen to this little jazzy tune here, and then we'll come back. I'm going to give you five songs to add to the the Spotify playlist, the never-ending Spotify playlist. I'm going to tell you about HBO Max and what I thought of it, and I'm going to give you the best thing I watched this month and some more streaming recommendations on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and HBO Max. That's all coming up here
0: on the Stream Police Podcast.
2: All right, all right, I'm back, my friend. Clint Davis, sitting in my closet in Columbus, Ohio, talking to you about movies and television here every month on the stream, Police. Like I said, uh, our man Andy Sedlak, who usually talks about music in this part of the show, will be back with us next month. I'm not going to go on a long diatribe about music here. That's Andy's job. But I do want to add five more songs to the playlist because this thing is never-ending. We can't just not add five songs. So I'm going to give them to you right here. Let me start you off with one. By 50 Cent. In what I think was probably the zenith of his entire career. And maybe the zenith of 2000's rap. And this is a track off of his album. Get Rich or Die Tryin'. Which is still just top to bottom one of the best rap albums you'll ever hear. And the song is Many Men Wish Death. Better watch how you talk when you talk about me. Cause I'll come and take your life away. Many men. Many, 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 many
0: men. Wish death on me, dog. I don't cry no more. Don't look to the sky no more. Have mercy on me. Pussy
2: niggers put money on my head. Gone get to reap my mother. It just doesn't get a whole lot better than that, does it? Come on. 50 was like the ultimate badass. Uh, back then in the uh, early 2000s next i'm going to give you one by an indie band called soccer mommy that i really like and this song is one of those just again totally uh nice badass anthem um celebrating independence and uh i mean i don't know what guy she's talking about here but i think we've all known people like the person she's talking about in this song the track's called your dog Right, in the early 1990s, Dr. Dre—I don't know if you've heard of him—came out with an album called *The Chronic*, which uh, is just still a soundscape uh, that few have ever matched in rap. It's just one of the best sounding albums ever. And my favorite track on that entire album is this one. It's a tune called *Lil Ghetto Boy*.
0: Wake up, jumped out my bed. I'm in a two-man cell with my homie, little half-dead murder was the case that they gave me dear god i wonder can you save me i'm only 18 so i'm a young fuck it's a ride if i don't scrap i'm getting stuck. but that's the life of a g i guess essays way deep shank two in the chest best run cause brothers is dropping quicker Oh, uh, too late damn down goes another nigga
2: i've been listening to way too much phoebe bridgers lately as well because she just dropped a new album called punisher that i loved all the way through and uh this song man i I don't know that i've ever heard her rock as hard as she does in this song um which just the the lyrics are totally they don't match at all the feeling of the tune the, the, the feelings like this head banging really feel good turn it up put the windows down kind of track and then you listen to the lyrics and it's about as she usually writes um just the human condition and having a tough relationship with your parents and in her case A bad relationship with her father, which she gets into in this track. It's called Kyoto, and it's uh, by Phoebe Bridgers. Finally, I'm going to switch gears and go to the heart of Nashville now and give you something from the late, great George Jones. Uh, Waylon Jennings once said that this song might be the best song you'll ever hear in your entire life. Then he also said, but then again, it might not be. I don't know if it's the best song ever, but man, it's one of those that I cannot do anything but turn all the way up and sing along with every single word. Uh, every time it comes on. It might be the greatest drinking song ever. It's called The King is Gone and So Are You. The
1: conversation finally turned to women But they said they didn't get around too much Elvis well, said, find them young And Fred said, old-fashioned girl
2: so there you go five tracks uh i hope they meet your seal of approval mr Sedlac. but if you want to check out the playlist go on to spotify and search stream police podcast you'll find the podcast there you can subscribe to it right on spotify if you like to listen to your podcast that way but you can also find the playlist right there on spotify as well and it's just getting fatter and fatter as the months roll on kind of like me uh your humble narrator All right, let's get back to uh, what's on the screen here. And I want to tell you about a movie real fast that I watched the other night that is, I mean, just kind of unlike anything I have ever seen. I told you earlier that Space Coast, Coast to Coast blew my mind because it was just kind of beyond comparison. And this movie is kind of beyond comparison as well. The film is called The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. It came out in 1976, directed by the great John Cassavetes and uh starring also the great and the always kind of smarmy lizardy slithery Ben Gazzara who of course if you've ever seen the Big Lebowski played the uh porno magnate Jackie Treehorn and I almost feel like this character from the killing of a chinese bookie Probably inspired the Coen Brothers to write the part of Jackie Treehorn because in this movie, in that more in that movie, he was like a sleazy porn director. In this movie, he's a sleazy strip club owner, but he's actually he's got a heart in this film, and really he's kind of serious about his art, and he likes to have his girls. And he's got this weird guy who goes up on stage and performs at his strip club. And the, the women at his club don't just go up there and take their clothes off. They do, like, performances. He, he always wants to take the audience to Paris or he wants to take them to Italy or he wants to take them back in time. And uh, he sets a scene and, um, you know, they write these dances that are going to go along with these musical numbers. And the crowd, you know, sitting in this Los Angeles sleazy 1970s strip club, are always like booing and saying, take it off, you know, yelling like while the song's going on. And so he's just totally unappreciated by the people who patronize his strip club. Um, But anyway, what ends up happening is he gets mixed up with some gangsters because he uh, blows too much money at a casino on credit and he can't possibly pay it back because he's a degenerate gambler. And so they end up asking him to kill uh, a Chinese bookie in order to pay his debt down and things just get more interesting from there because this is a guy who's not he's not a killer i mean he was in the war he was in korea 20 years before this but uh this isn't a guy who goes around killing people i mean he's kind of a sensitive soul so it's a really this is a movie again that's that, that is a character study and gangster movies that's the the worst thing about gangster movies is the characters are so flat most of the time and you know, you're usually watching a gangster movie to kind of get that blast of adrenaline and to, to watch people doing things that you would never do yourself because you're a sensible person, right? And because you don't want to end up going to prison or getting yourself killed. But people in gangster movies are always so reckless and crazy and they just do whatever they want to do. They're just like purely id people. And it's kind of fun to watch that. But in this movie, Gazar's character is not that way at all he, and he feels everything he does and he doesn't want to do it but he's back to he's, he's gotten himself backed into a corner and he realizes he has to go through with it or it's going to be the end of his life so it's kind of a killer be killed thing so I, the movie was just totally unique it was one of those that that kind of stunned me when i was watching it because it was so different um and there are two cuts of it apparently i, I watched the longer one there's a two hour 15 minute cut and then there's a shorter one that's like less than two hours Long. I think it's closer to like an hour and a half, and it's very different, I guess. But uh, the longer cut is the Cassavetti's director's cut versions, the, the Criterion Collection uh, original theatrical version. Um, so I can't compare it to the, the shorter one. I don't know about that. But uh, there were parts that felt a little bit too long. It's the only kind of thing that I would say about it. But totally unique movie. I think the final 20 minutes were stellar. Those were what really made this movie great to me and it's one of those that i probably will not forget about i really liked it anyway it was the killing of a chinese bookie from 1976 uh directed by john cassavetes
0: is your truth and vice versa well look look at me right i'm only happy when i'm angry when i'm sad when i can play the fool when i can be what people want me to be rather than be myself you understand
2: Uh, I watched this movie. The reason I bring it up is because I got to watch it on HBO Max. This is one of those that I had never found anywhere. I had always heard about it, kind of wanted to see it because I love those 1970s crime movies. Those are some of my favorites ever. And so this was one of those obscure ones that I wanted to watch, um, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So I'm scrolling through HBO Max and I see The Killing of a Chinese Bookie and like five other Cassavetes movies on there and a bunch of great... Criterion Collection and other classic, obscure kind of uh, movies that I had never seen that I'd always wanted to get into. So HBO Max has been out now for a couple of months, and it uh, will cost you $14.99 a month. So actually, it's cheaper than Netflix's top plan, which I think is $15.99 a month, and it's slightly more than the regular HD plan of, of Netflix, which I think is $12 a month. Um, something like that. So, I mean, it's right there in league, but it's a little bit more. This is not like a cheap one. This isn't the one for like, I just want to spend eight bucks a month and watch, you know, Hulu. It's not like that. It's it's a little pricier, but I'm going to tell you right now that I think HBO Max is worth the price of $14.99 a month without question. I think you could probably subscribe to this and really not need cable. If you're somebody who wants to seriously just do cord cutting and certainly if you had netflix and if you had hbo max um, i think you'd be set on content really because there's so much good old stuff on here but there are new originals that are coming out Uh, i'm not going to speak to the new originals yet because i haven't watched any of them but i'm going to speak to the 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 library of content here is almost overwhelming I, i was going through and adding things to my list and i just like it was like every movie that I saw, I wanted to add to my list, and I've watched a lot of movies, but there were a ton that I had never seen on here. And the reason is, you don't—it's not only HBO stuff, but it's everything HBO's ever done, uh, per, within reason. I don't think it's everything; they didn't pull out like some of the real obscure stuff that people don't even want to see anymore. But it's like, uh, you know, everything that HBO that you can imagine has done, also all the movies that HBO gets on a monthly basis, and they rotate in and out. Uh, but it's also uh, Turner Classic movies. So a bunch of great older ones, like bona fide classic older ones that you maybe have just been waiting to get around to and haven't yet. Those are all on here for you streaming in, like, gorgeous uh, high def and uh, I think maybe even 4K. I'm not sure if they go up to 4K, but uh, they're like Blu-ray quality, so they look really good. Um, Cartoon Network is on here as well, Adult Swim. Um, The Harry Potter movies are all on here. The DC Universe uh, channel is on here. So there's like DC Universe shows. There's all the animated DC movies. There are, um, you know, the the live action DC Universe movies are all on here. Uh, And also the biggest coup to me uh, that HBO Max got was that they have the rights to all of the Studio Ghibli movies which are just absolutely some of the most beautiful films you'll ever watch. They're they're some of the best animated movies ever made. I, I spent a couple years ago, I went through and watched every studio Ghibli movie, um, you know, from castle in the sky all the way through to the wind rises. And I watched them in order and I got them all from my local library. I got them all from the Cincinnati public library at the time. And, uh, I it's some of the most fun I have ever had watching movies. And I watched most of them by myself and just sitting in my living room with these movies on. I looked so forward to it every time I got a new one, um, and was blown away. And some of them have become some of my favorite movies ever made. And there, if you don't know studio Ghibli, they're a Japanese animation studio, legendary. Uh, you've probably heard of some of their movies. You've probably heard of uh, spirited away. That was a big one that uh, I think won the Oscar. Um, you know kiki's delivery service my neighbor totoro uh, i mentioned castle in the sky there, there's just a lot of Ponyo from a few years ago that was a big one um princess mononoke there's a lot of just really good ones and and they're famous for the english translated versions the english dubbed versions are really well done they do a good job of matching the english voices up with the original animation that was done for the japanese language um I've always been one who watched them in Japanese but I've watched a couple of them in English now and I really liked them as well. I am surprised at how much I liked them because I'm, I'm usually a snob for um, a subtitled version instead of a, a dubbed version. Sub, no dub, you know, I'm one of those guys. But uh, these movies are just fantastic and if you have any kind of spirit of like a, like a child inside you at all, uh, you need to watch these movies. And if you love animation at all and you haven't seen the Studio Ghibli movies, then stop waiting they're better than disney movies i mean they are they're just flat out are uh and you'll be blown away the storytelling is just phenomenal the, almost every single one of them can be described as a feminist film as well so many of them are led by female characters who are uh you know really well fleshed out well done uh and just uh, Good heroes, uh, you know? So it's a uh, it's a treasure trove. Uh, everything on HBO Max, but those Ghibli movies really are kind of worth it because those movies are expensive if you do try to go out and buy them. Um, but I thought HBO Max was great. And then I, I didn't even touch on, like, all of South Park is on there, all of Friends is on there. So they've got all these, like, really huge, big-time movies uh, Shows and movies that people want to watch—they've got, of course, the all the classic HBO originals like Six Feet Under and The Sopranos and The Wire and the, the Larry Sanders Show and Mr. Show and so many great old HBO shows that maybe you didn't get around to—and and the newer ones like Insecure and Succession. Um, so they're all there, waiting for you to watch them. And at fourteen ninety nine a month, I'm giving it a full of recommendation. If you are you know, if you if you do spend enough time watching stuff, uh, then I think you should definitely check it out and take the free trial at least. The app is really fun to use too. It's actually a really nice app. It's not clunky like the Amazon app. Um, I actually have fun scrolling around on it and uh, and watching it. So it's been it's been a great time. I've really enjoyed HBO Max. I've been using it a lot the last few weeks and uh, having a good time with it. So, like I said, I recommend it. Fourteen ninety nine a month. I think you could you could find worse ways to spend that kind of scratch. Like going to the gym. I mean, come on. Cancel your gym membership and get an HBO Max uh, subscription. And sit down and watch the Studio Ghibli movies from start to finish. At least watch Princess Mononoke and you'll you'll thank me. Okay, let me tell you about the best thing that I watched this month. And believe it or not, it was not... Uh, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, even though that was very good. The movie uh, that was the best one I watched this month was a film called Leave No Trace from 2018. This was uh, directed and written by Deborah Granick, who did Winter's Bone a few years ago. The movie that kind of launched Jennifer Lawrence and got her her first Oscar nomination. And that movie was set in Appalachia, I think. It was a really uh, gritty, uh, just dark kind of character study, uh, odyssey kind of movie. Led by Jennifer Lawrence, who did did really great work. She was very young in that movie as well. And Leave No Trace is, again, focused on nature, like Winter's Bone was. But even more so. And this one is done with a lot lighter touch than Winter's Bone was. Leave No Trace stars Ben Foster and a young actor named Thomason McKenzie. And they play a father-daughter pair. Ben Foster, you might remember from uh, Hell or High Water. He was was Chris Pine's brother in that movie. He was the, the reckless one. And did really good work in that film. Uh, and he's fantastic here. Totally different kind of part here. He plays, um, I think he's an Iraq war vet who's got PTSD uh, really severely. And uh, ends up retreating basically from living his life in the modern world. And chooses instead to live in the woods with his daughter who's a teenager. Uh, and he's kind of raised her out there, and he, they live in uh, a public park in Seattle, and uh, they have to hide from rangers and they have to hide from hikers, and because it's illegal to do it, uh, and of course they in, end up getting caught, and uh, kind of they, they have to the, the government tries to assimilate them into like a normal life, quote unquote, uh, and things don't really go that well. So it's a it's a really interesting character piece uh, with a lot of. Beautiful scenery, um, great cinematography, and just touching performances. I love a movie that has no villain. I love that, first off. Anytime a movie doesn't have a villain, I'm always in for it. And movies that don't have obvious answers also really attract me. And Leave No Trace fits both of those. There's nobody in it that you can go oh, this is the heavy, you know, I mean, this is the, I hate this person. The, everyone in it, you understand their motives and why they're doing what they're doing. And people are trying to be helpful, but they're not really being helpful. Um, and maybe they're projecting onto this father-daughter pair. And the, the, the dad and the daughter are also frustrating at times, but you also like them and you feel for them and you understand why they're doing what they're doing and why they're being uh, defiant of the modern way of living because let's face it it's not that great so what are they really missing out on but this movie is packed with like such a quiet power that's hard to explain if you if you like the idea of a movie that's quiet to watch uh but hits you hard um leave no trace is it uh i think it's a must see for anyone who has thought about ditching modern life and and trying to go for something simpler and leave no trace kind of uh digs at that a lot so that was the best thing i watched this month that was a a quiet nice hidden gem from 2018 for me directed by deborah granick i don't think it's streaming anywhere but you can find it uh on blu-ray or or, uh, on rental as well but watch out for it streaming somewhere if you do see it definitely add it to your list really unique nice movie
0: sorry for making you worry about me if we had a phone i could have called you
1: Always been able to communicate without all that.
2: I think it might be easier on us if we try to adapt.
0: We're wearing their clothes, we're in their house, we're we're eating their food, we're doing their work. We have adapted. The
1: only place we can't be seen is in this house. We can still think our own thoughts. Like you said. What if the kids at school think I'm strange? Because of the way we're living? How important are their judgments? Guess I'll find out.
2: All right, I'm going to run you down now some uh, recommendations across all the streaming platforms. Usually, I only leave it uh, to Netflix and Amazon. I like to give you something funny and something serious from Netflix and from Amazon. But I'm going to start adding in Hulu and HBO Max as well, because I don't want to just focus on Netflix and Amazon. I mean, Hulu's legit. HBO Max is legit, as I told you. um, And a lot of people have those, so I don't want to leave those out. And Hulu used to not be really big on movies. But now Hulu's got a, got really good movie selection every single month. I think it rivals Netflix in that way. Amazon was killing it for a long time in adding new movies that uh, were really good every month. But they've kind of slowed down a little bit. And actually Netflix has stepped their game up recently as well. I wonder if Disney Plus and HBO Max have anything to do with that at all Hmm. so anyway netflix something funny for you what else could be funnier than 1980s airplane i mean it's always in the discussion of the funniest movies ever made and there's a reason for that if you've never seen it it's timeless still funny and it's got the greatest uh cameo in the history of cameos when kareem abdul-jabbar shows up uh and he's one of the co-pilots on the airplane just a brilliant brilliant movie Full of of completely earnest performances that would be <laughs> would fit right in in any drama, um, disaster drama about an airplane that was going down, uh, and that's kind of the whole point of why they were casting this film. That's on Netflix right now. Something serious for you from 1999. It is Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci uh, and Christopher Walken as the Headless Horseman. Totally creepy. This one uh, is still underrated to me. It's one of my favorite horror movies ever made, and I gave it a glowing review on Overdue Review years ago. I think visually it's so... Unique. It's one of Tim Burton's, directed by Tim Burton, one of his absolute best. Tim Burton can be on autopilot a lot of times, but Sleepy Hollow, uh, I think, was a real passion project for him, and it showed. It's just a gorgeous movie, um, and Depp is really good in it, too, and uh, so is Christina Ricci. She's just kind of magnetic in this movie on amazon for you something funny i don't know how funny it is it's more like uplifting but it's definitely a nice movie to watch 1984 is the natural with one of the great scores ever put to film uh, done by the great randy newman Um, i was blown away by the natural i watched it for the first time last year wasn't really uh, i didn't really know what to expect i knew things about the movie but it kind of stayed away from it. I thought it was kind of uh, had a repu- uh, reputation for being cheesy, but it was not cheesy at all. I loved it from start to finish. I thought it was a beautiful uh, movie, nice tribute to baseball in the best way, uh, but also a really good character story. Uh, something serious on Amazon Video right now Rabbit Hole from 2010. This is a really serious one. This is like a stage play put to film um and it's it's kind of a a precursor to me to Manchester by the Sea. If you uh, ever saw Manchester by the Sea and if you liked it, you should check out Rabbit Hole. This one stars Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart uh in the lead roles and it's just a very adult drama. I mean that in the best way possible. All right, on Hulu, something funny for you from 1995, The American President. Beth and I just watched this one we rewatched it the other day. I hadn't seen it in I don't know how long, probably 7-8 years. Um, and we've been watching the West Wing. So I was like, i got to go back and rewatch the Aaron Sorkin greatest hits. And he wrote and uh, the American president was produced right before the West Wing came out. Um, And you can see a lot of things that happened in the West Wing were kind of probably things that were left out of the American president because they have a lot of similarities in them. Uh, but I think The American President is a tremendous movie. I forgot how good it was. Just a uh, it's, it's a master class in pacing. You hear a lot of people talk about pacing of movies, and for a long time I wasn't sure what that meant when I was younger, and I would hear that. But The American President is the kind of movie I would point to and say, this is what good pacing is. it It just zips by and there's never a time where you're looking at the clock and you're wondering uh, what's going on and it just flies by and rob reiner i mean he's one of the great directors of all time uh and this one was right there with some of his absolute best and it's one of sorkin's best scripts for sure and michael douglas as the president come on i'd vote for him so there you go uh the american president that is on hulu right now something serious for you on hulu how about 1995's casino one of Scorsese's absolute best. For years, I always said I thought it was better than *Goodfellas*. I'm not sure about that anymore, uh, but I still do love *Casino*. It's one of those that's three hours long, but I watch it every time I see it on anywhere. I will sit through the whole thing, um, and I try to, you know, rewatch it like every year or two, and uh, I I almost know it word for word. It's got some of my favorite lines ever uttered especially from Joe Pesci. He says some of the best things ever in a movie uh, in Casino. It's just uh, one of his great all-time tough guy roles. Uh, and and De Niro's tremendous as well. And Don Rickles is really good in this movie. The uh, Casino is it, stellar if you've never seen it. It's like Goodfellas, but set back in 1960s Las Vegas. It's a really good movie. It may have the most narration, the most voiceover narration ever recorded for any movie. I don't know what the record for that is, but... Casino's right there. It's like non-stop narration for 3 hours. It's crazy. It's so fast. This movie's really fast-paced uh as well. So that that one's on Hulu for you also. Uh and finally on HBO Max something funny for you I told you before I mentioned it when I was talking about the Studio Ghibli movies Kiki's Delivery Service my favorite of all the Ghibli movies just because it is a breeze to watch it's a blast It's it's got a great lead character um, it's got a cool story awesome music uh, beautiful animation, just gorgeous. And it's just set in a kind of a fun world that I would like to be in. You know what I mean? What's better than those movies where the characters are people you'd like to hang out with. And I would love to hang out with Kiki and Gigi. They're two of my favorite, uh, characters in the history of movies. So Kiki's Delivery Service, one of my absolute all-time favorites, streaming now on HBO Max. Do yourself a favor, turn it on, and let yourself smile and watch this movie. It's, it's, a, it's a classic. Crank it up when the opening credits come on, too, because it's one of my favorite opening credits sequences ever. And something serious for you on HBO Max, another one of my all-time favorites, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Nonstop masculine energy, uh, just dripping testosterone, but in all the worst ways. Toxic masculinity all over the place, um, and it's it's just it's a classic for a reason. So much sweaty acting going on um, between you know Alan Arkin, Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, uh, even you know the canceled Kevin Spacey is in here doing some nice work. Ed Harris, it's uh, it's just. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is talk about a movie that I quote all the time, full of some of the greatest lines ever put to film. Alec Baldwin, of course, with his one scene, entire movie stealing performance. Um, it's David Mamet, and it's David Mamet to the core. I mean, this is when you talk about Mamet's writing, you, you're talking about Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. So it's uh, a bunch of hacky salesmen trying to get themselves a Cadillac or a set of steak knives, but trying not to get fired by winning the. Uh, monthly sales contest at the, uh, the little shitty office that they work out of. So just a, a classic movie, one of those I can put on any time and get my, uh, get my adrenaline going all the way to the top. It's streaming right now on HBO Max, and I totally urge you to check it
0: out. You, Williamson, I'm talking to you shithead. You just cost me $6,000. $6,000 and one Cadillac. That's right what are you gonna do about it what are you gonna do about it asshole You fucking shit where did you learn your trade you stupid fucking cunt you idiot whoever told you that you could work with men all right
2: that's gonna do it for this edition of the stream police podcast I hope you enjoyed it I know I had a good time sitting here in my closet talking to you about movies and TV hell I'd do it for free in fact I do every single month right here on the show uh we will uh hear from our good friend andy sedlak next time here on the show i'll be back again as well if you want to reach out to me hit me at the clint davis at gmail.com t-h-e clint davis at gmail.com and you can reach out to andy with uh, music related stuff at sedlak journal at gmail.com and don't forget to follow us on instagram i'm at mr clint davis he's at andy Sedlac. I'll talk to you in a month, my friend. Until then, stay safe. Wear a mask and stream on.
0: I don't care whose nephew you are, who you know, whose dick you're sucking on, you're going out. I swear to you, you're going.
1: Let's get this done.
0: Customer survey 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.